Good morning. You wondering why we gave you a rock? Good. I want to pray for us, and then we'll dig in. God, thank you for who you are, for what you have done, for what you are going to do. God, I need you. We love you. We trust you. We rely on you. God, have your way. Speak what you want to speak to people. In Jesus' name, amen. Coming up here, I I have a little bit of PTSD from last week where I went through a second puberty and my voice cracked. And so I am, I got fisherman's friends, I got a ginger peppermint thing. You know what, just proactively, let me just, there. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts Chapter 6, starting in verse 8. Acts 6, verse 8. And I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. It'll be on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, I think it's valuable to turn there. Acts 6, starting in verse 8. And it says this. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. Here we are introduced to the central character in the story that this historical narrative that I want us to engage in. Verse 8, in it we find Luke describing Stephen. And it says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. It says that he performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. Stephen is someone through whom God is working powerfully. Grace and power. And as he's living his life in step with the Spirit, as he's doing what God asks him to do, and he's living out of this identity of who he is in Jesus, he finds some Jewish men who want to debate him. And it actually says in verse 10, these men that wanted to debate him, none of them could stand against the wisdom and spirit with which Stephen spoke. I want you to just think about this for a moment as you begin to to imagine and picture this man, Stephen. Wisdom and spirit. There's this intellectual side empowered by the spirit. And no one could stand against him in Their use of words. No one could debate him. They tried to, and they found themselves failing. They found that they could not match this man. And so what happens in the story is they actually had to lie. This is what happens. If you're trying to do something and you realize the truth won't get you there, if you're not careful, inevitably what you do is you just begin to think, you know what, if I lie, then maybe I can accomplish what I want to accomplish. Luke actually tells us that as they lied, there was false witnesses brought before religious leaders. And they were accusing him of blasphemy, this man that was full of wisdom. 
full of power, full of grace, full of the Spirit. And they're accusing him of saying offensive things about God, offensive things about their faith. They, they are approaching him, and they have to lie about him. They are false witnesses. Now, you can imagine, if you have f- people that are spewing things, if you don't know the truth, the religious leaders at this time who, let's just be honest, are not happy about the advancing of the early church, they're riled up. They're bothered by this. And if it's true, if Stephen's actually blaspheming God, this is a big deal. And so they are finding themselves getting more and more agitated. Now this whole situation should call us or may cause us to be reminded of another time when there was a sham trial between religious leaders. Someone clearly that had not done what he was accused of clearly was innocent. And it was in Jesus. And so we find uh, the briefest little echo. We find Stephen. Clearly he's done nothing wrong standing before the religious leaders where they are determined to do something that clearly is not justice. And it reminds us of Jesus. People lying to get the results that they wanted even in someone who is innocent. And in Stephen's case, something really interesting happened. Something Curious happens as these false witnesses are speaking and as the religious leaders are wrestling with what they are hearing. It says in Acts 6, verse 15, at this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. Just a a little line that should cause us to go, what? What? Like, I want you just to imagine for a moment if, if this was actually happening in our midst. So we find people that are accusing someone of something. And, and maybe you're going like, yeah, if he did that, that's so wrong. And then you look over at the man they're accusing and his face is shining like an angel. You would think that you might even go, I don't know if we're right here. Like, We got the people yelling, and we got Angel Boy over here. I think it's possible they're not right. And what we see is the reality of the human condition, that when we're so entrenched with what we already think, that it's so hard for us to actually hear the truth. When we're confronted with the truth, we go, you know what, I've already made up my mind. You go, but is it possible you're wrong? And you go, maybe, but I'm unwilling to admit that. This is what we find in the men that were false witnesses. It was what we find in the religious leaders. And if we're being honest, it's what we find in ourselves. Stephen's face shone. Now again, if we think about the sham trial, we are picturing maybe we're picturing Jesus and his sham sham trial. And when we're confronted with this passage, it should cause us again to reflect, I feel like I've heard something like this before. If we go back to the Old Testament, we actually find the biblical account of Moses. Maybe you're familiar or maybe you are not. It's a pretty wild and significant story. And the short version is Moses wants to be near God, around God, experience God, see God, and God shields him and protects him. As he's giving him the Ten Commandments, he's going, I can't come 
right in front of you because I'm too glorious and, and too holy. You can't handle it, but I'll pass by. And when he comes down afterwards and he's giving the Ten Commandments, it, it actually says that his face shone. Now, what does that tell us? If Moses' face was shining because he had been with God, it's valuable, valuable for us to know that Stephen's face was shining because he was with God. Now, again, the religious leaders would have known about Moses, and yet they're so concerned about doing what they already want to do that they can't even see what is happening. And all of this is happening, and finally, the high priest actually asks, are these accusations true? Great question. And then we find Stephen responding. And, and Stephen has an opportunity to speak against the lies that are being presented the things that he's being accused of. Now, I don't know what you're like, but if someone is lying about you, I would imagine that you don't enjoy that. I know for me that if I hear that someone is saying things that are, that are not true about me, I feel this, this deep need to somehow defend myself, make it right, clarify like if I hear something and I know it's wrong, I go, I gotta, I gotta fix this. I, I, I'll fully admit, I do not enjoy being misunderstood. I do not enjoy knowing someone is saying things about me that are not true. And yet what I find is my natural human response is not what I see in Stephen. We don't find Stephen trying to defend himself Instead, we find him speaking truth and using that opportunity to teach and point to God. He actually spends a good chunk of the passage pointing out all of the ways that the Jewish people have rejected God and rejected his servants. He goes out of his way to point to them time after time. Now, again, let's just imagine this from a human perspective. He's being accused of blasphemy, and rather than saying, no, I, I have blasphemed nothing, he goes on to go, let me tell you where you have fallen short. Do you think that would have aroused a positive response from the religious leaders? No. And so in verse 51, it says, he, he does not hold back, and I don't want us to miss this. He says, you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? It's what your ancestors did, and so do you. These are bold, bold words that Stephen is speaking. And Stephen had to know that they would not go over well, and yet, with courage, he spoke these words to these men that held his life in their hands. I want you to just to consider for a moment the words that he uses when he says, you stubborn people. And then he says, must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? I would love for us to reflect on this. Is that me? You know, I can recognize in my own life the times that I am stubborn, that I am set. 
And I want to invite us to be the kind of people that are willing to confront that in our own hearts. Am I stubborn? Am I resistant to the Holy Spirit? I want us to consider for a moment how Jesus describes the kind of faith that we should have. He talks about having a childlike faith. Now, a childlike faith is directly in opposition to a stubborn faith, a resistant faith. Kids have this real beautiful tendency when you say, hey, um, listen, we should do this. They go, let's do it. And so like one of the things that I love in our family that Lee has created is our kids are praying all the time. When they hear an ambulance, they stop what they're doing in the car and they begin to pray. And they pray for the people that are in the ambulance. And you go, we don't have to say to the kids, you know what, really we should pray. They're the ones that are like, we should pray. We believe in prayer, we should pray. They have this childlike faith and trust that God is going to care for people even if they don't know all of the pieces. They, they know that in that moment it's an invitation for prayer. And, and for us, I think we over time become so stubborn and rigid and, and our hearts become hard and we become more and more stubborn to the Spirit if we're not careful. I want you to know that the invitation to follow Jesus is the opposite of stubborn and resistant, that God wants so much more for us than that. And what we see here in the religious leaders is something, if we're being honest, we often see in ourselves, confronted with something, an area in our life where there is some challenge, rather than repenting and laying it down and going, you know what, you're right. What we find is the religious leaders just dig their heels in further. And so when he says that they are stubborn, they demonstrate that stubbornness in their actions and response. And it says in verse 54 that the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation and they shook their fists at him in rage. Now, I don't want us to just miss that the religious leaders actually go full cartoon here. They're like, Stephen? Like the Bible actually tells us, they're shaking their fist in rage. Their hearts are so on display, they can't even hide how they actually think. And it says in verse 55, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven, and he saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Beautiful picture. Stephen was seeing something beyond what we would see in the natural. And it says in verse 57, the religious leaders, then they actually put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. So Stephen is getting a glimpse of heaven. He sees Jesus. And how do the religious leaders respond? They actually do a full out. They've done the shake the fist. They're doing like the la, 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 la. Like full toddler. I can't hear you. If I yell, then what you're saying doesn't get into my ears. And it would be almost comical if it wasn't so heartbreaking. Because then it gets dark. They go from covering their ears and shouting to instead 
beginning to stone Stephen. And I was thinking about the reality that in North America in 2023, we, we, we don't, certainly we don't see actual stonings, though they would happen in other places in the world. But we experience metaphorical stonings. We see people using their words and thoughts and accusations and lies to destroy people's lives. And in this situation, it's not metaphorical, it's, it's actual, but I think it's valuable for us to consider how we've taken this and just morphed it and shaped it for our current age. And here we actually find his accusers, Stephen's accusers, taking off their coats and laying them at the feet of Saul. Now Saul is someone that we're going to spend a lot of time with over the next handful of weeks and beyond. But it's even interesting, they took off their coats and they laid them at Saul's feet. And, and some of the commentaries that I was reading were saying, you know, the big reason that they did this was actually so they could be more free to stone Stephen. It was like, you know what, these coats are actually encumbering our movement. We need to really have the ability to pick up that stone and really swing it. And yet we're introduced to Saul and the beginning of a time in his life or the, the, a, a glimpse in a time in his life that was really, really dark. Stephen is about to become the first martyr, someone who would give his life because of his faith in Jesus. And Stephen's story is sobering. And I think if we've grown up in church, maybe we've heard the story of Stephen and we, and we approach it in a certain way and we make assumptions on where we're going. And my hope this morning is maybe just maybe to approach it slightly differently. The tendency that we have as Jesus followers especially is when we read stories in the Bible, we immediately put ourselves in the position of the hero. When Jesus tells stories about people, when he talks about the older and younger brother, we're like, oh, I'm the, whoever did it right, that's me. Jesus tells parables and he's doing things and he's confronting and we're like, yeah, I would never do that. And I think that it can be true in this story that we see the life of Stephen and we miss the fact that, that for many of us, we're not Stephen. We're the ones that have the stone in our hands. We're the ones that are confronted by someone that, that is living a radical life and we find ourselves graded. We find ourselves stubborn. We find ourselves resistant. I want us at least to just put on the table, are we willing to acknowledge that maybe we have more in common with the ones who are throwing the stones? Because <coughs> we might read this and think, I would never do something like this. But when we are confronted in our lukewarm faith, how do we respond? Do we respond with repentance and confession? Or do we find ourselves wanting to defend ourselves, putting our hands over our ears and yelling louder? Do we find ourselves stubborn and resistant to the Spirit as he wants to work? We have this tendency to 
villainize or avoid people that will point out spiritual blind spots in our life. And when someone says something that confronts something that we know to be true in our life, so often we just retaliate. And we lash out. We go, well, you know what? If you're going to point out something in my life, I'm going to point out seven things in your life so I feel better about myself. Each of you is given a stone. And maybe you can sense already where I'm going with it. And maybe even as I've shared this, it started to cause your walls to come up. See, we make all sorts of excuses. We make all sorts of excuses for our anemic faith and for our lack of actually being willing to deal with the deep and and dark stuff in our life. And I am in no way diminishing those of us in the room that have legitimate hurt, those in the room that have legitimate wounds. But what I do want to confront is our willingness to just live there. Some of us in the room, we have no wounds. We just go, I'm just so busy. And I wonder if just maybe today God is inviting you out of that lie. Let me just explain for a moment <coughs> you why people on the team gave you a stone. I, I was reading this passage and I was so unbelievably struck by the next section of the story. And I think that God is inviting us to respond here. It says in verse 59, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He felt his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. I want us just to actually think about the reality of what was happening in this moment. As Stephen is being stoned, as people are murdering him. And like, let's be honest, the idea of murder by stoning is intimate in the worst way. Like if you think about the stones that you have in your hands or beside you in order to throw it with enough force to injure someone, you're close and you're winding up. Stephen can see the grimaces in their face, the the anger in their eyes. It's not like this hidden distant thing. Stephen sees all the ugliness of humanity right in front of him. And I want us to consider how Stephen responds. Because he responds exactly like someone formed by Jesus. He does what Jesus did. He actually says to God, receive my spirit. And then he falls to his knees and prays. And we don't know if he falls to his knees by his choice or by force. But he's on his knees and he is praying. And look at how he prays. He prays, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Now, again, I've noted the the evidence of, or the, the little echoes of Jesus and of Moses. And here we find Jesus on the cross echoed here. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's actually saying to God, don't hold this against them. And this should cause us to go, how? 
How does he respond like this? How is he able to live like this? And I'm so struck by the reality that this is evidence that he had been with Jesus. That he knew who Jesus was. That he was so transformed by the way of Jesus in every single area that forgiveness just flowed out of him naturally when it was most tested. You know, you wrestle with this. How can someone see the the real depths of human depravity and yet respond like this? And I'm reminded of the necessity for each of us to actually experience Jesus on a deep and transformative and often continual level. Because if you've experienced the the good news of Jesus at a deep and cellular level, you understand the depths of of his unmerited forgiveness. Like, I don't know how self-aware you are, but I'm so aware of my junk and my failures and my flaws. And then when I realize what Jesus did for me, it causes me yet again to be blown away by his sacrifice and his willingness to do what he did for me. And when I experience grace like that, it again reframes how I view other people. But the truth is, it reframes how I view other people when it's easy. It's great to love people that are easy to love. It's great to extend grace for those that are easy to extend grace to, it is so much more difficult for us to extend forgiveness to those that we perceive to be our enemies. <coughs> Jesus speaks about forgiveness a lot. If you look at the Gospels, it's a lot. Almost as if he understands that the human tendency is to love receiving forgiveness and to resist actually extending it. Oh, I love to know that I'm forgiven. And then when I come face to face with a really difficult opportunity to forgive someone else, I go, you know what? Maybe tomorrow. There's this human wrestle in us. And I'm not suggesting that we live lives of cheap forgiveness where we just become like doormats. I'm not... I'm not suggesting that we act like what people have done to us doesn't impact us and hurt us. I'm not suggesting that we just rush past that. What I'm instead suggesting is that we take off this sense of, I need to control justice here. I need to be the one that makes this right. I need to be the one that holds all of this and pronounces judgment. We need to lay down our need for our own warped view and version of justice. And beyond that, we need to lay down the burden that we've been carrying of that role, recognizing that God is the one that does that. And so we've been carrying this burden of unforgiveness, and for some of us it has turned into bitterness. And I wonder, is it possible? Because I'm reading about Stephen, I'm seeing the kind of radical life that, if I'm being really honest, I don't entirely see in my life. And is it possible that maybe, just maybe, 
that we've cheapened Jesus' radical call to forgiveness and we've embraced bitterness. We see it in culture. We see a lot of bitterness. Is it possible that they were shaped more by culture than we are by the way of Jesus? Because I look at Stephen and I see something different. And if I'm being honest, it confronts me. I mean, I want you to think about even Stephen's perspective. I mean, Stephen's perspective. Can you imagine having that perspective of forgiveness with the people that have actually hurt us? Not like conceptually, but actually hurt us, said things that were deeply wounding, did things that harmed us. Maybe right now you can picture that person. Can you imagine responding to that person like Stephen did? Or do you find yourself going, you know what? I don't know if I could do that. I mean, I want us to imagine if as Jesus followers we're so transformed by the way of Jesus that our first response is surrender and forgiveness. Again, it's not like we diminish what's happened, but instead we go, God, I lay it down with you and I'm not gonna carry this anymore. Imagine if we are so formed by our understanding of what Jesus has done for us that we couldn't help but respond differently. And I just wonder, what would that do to our world around us? People started to see that. Like if people saw the way of, that Stephen responded to his enemies actually taking his life in our scenarios where we don't have people confronting our lives. We have people saying things that harm us, people hurting us in really significant ways. Can you imagine if we responded differently? So here's what I believe God's invitation today for us is. In light of Stephen, to put down our stone, to actually reflect on the stone that we've been carrying, softened in our hands, waiting to throw I think Stephen's response seems so foreign to us because we have become stubborn to the voice of the Spirit and instead surrender to the power of unforgiveness or bitterness. And maybe not in a massive way, maybe for some, but definitely in a very insidious and harmful way. We've allowed bitterness to take root When we consider Stephen, it was not so with him. And so I want to invite us. We're going to to actually put down the stone. And I want to be clear and and just up front say, I'm not suggesting that today will be a moment where everything changes, though it could be. But I think as a community, today could be the beginning or a step. I think it's time for us to put down our stones I think it's time for us to lay down our need for unhealthy justice, to lay down our need for punishment, to lay down our tendency to be stubborn and resistant. And so in a moment, I'm going to invite us to respond as we reflect. And I want you just to think for a moment, maybe there's someone right now that you have held on to unforgiveness to the point of bitterness. You haven't actually stoned the person. And you hear this and you're like, oh, I, would, I wouldn't actually do it. But if you were to get gut level honest, you've done it in your imagination. And Jesus is really clear that that's not okay. And I think part of the problem is we're so comfortable with it. Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't tell anyone, but I've thought it. And the fact that we're comfortable with that should make us uncomfortable. 
If the way of Jesus includes radical forgiveness, we should be bothered when we find ourselves responding differently. If you were honest and you reflected on some people that you perceive to be your enemies who have wronged you, and if there's this part of you that gets just a little bit of joy if they get punished or something goes wrong, that should alarm us. Because again, we go extremes. We're like, well, you know, I'm fairly good. I'm not too stubborn. But what about in this area? I'd be willing to bet there are a bunch of us that have some things that we've been holding on to that we should put down. It should be uncomfortable for us. We need to acknowledge as we're laying down the stones that we need heart change and formation, a new formation. Our hearts have been so deformed by culture and things around us, and we need a change. Maybe there's some people in here where there's a hurt in your past that you have held on to for too long. Maybe you've been carrying a burden for longer than you needed to, and God is inviting you to lay that burden at his feet. I want you to know that God sees you and he's inviting you to lay it down. But maybe you find yourself and you go, I don't have any, any clear, real challenging areas. But maybe you can acknowledge that you find yourself maybe just grieving the lack of radical forgiveness that we see in Stephen. And you just want to lay that down. My pastoral hope for us as a community is that it bothers us when we hold on to unforgiveness. Frankly, that it bothers us when we don't respond like Stephen did, face to face with whatever the world wants to throw at us or the enemy wants to throw at us. And rather than seeing every single person as someone who desperately needs Jesus, creating this us versus them, where we see people as the enemy. We have an enemy, and it is not people. For us, we need to put down the stones because every single person, though they may even be, be uh, controlled or manipulated by the enemy, that they desperately need to find Jesus. And God's not saying, hey, we'll send someone else. He's sending us. We need to put down the stones and embrace radical, radical transformative understanding of grace so that we radically forgive those that sin against us. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for us, but before I do, I want you to know if, if you feel like God is leading there's something that he's saying that's inviting you to put down your stone, I'd love for you to take a step, get up, and actually respond. Bring the stone to the front. We'll lay them right here, right on the front of the stage. And what I'd love for you to do is when you come up, take a moment before you set the stone down and lay down in prayer what you need to lay down. Come up and if you need to confess something, repent of something, lay a burden down, and then I want you to actually set down the stone. And before we respond, I want to pray for us. Would you actually, would you stand up?
God, make us more like Stephen. So aware of you that we speak boldly and forgive radically. We love the people we perceive to be our enemies. God, chip away at the bitter places in our heart, causing us to be stubborn. God, do what you need to do in our midst. Cause us to to respond to where you are leading. But God, help us as a community to become uncomfortable with our comfort and how quickly we'd love to throw stones and how quickly we'd love to seek our own warped view of justice. God, remind us who we are and help us to live out of that identity. And we need you. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.